The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your name. are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers who are in the house and anybody else I may have missed, too. The Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio. We use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Monday morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. Go to sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, go over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can scroll down and right on the right side of the page that we are streaming live. And this is one of many outlets that we've got. Uh, People are coming in, and we appreciate all your support. Gosh, the numbers that are showing on the screen are far different than what they're showing in our chat. So, again, we know what Facebook is doing uh, with our numbers. But you can click onto that. You can enlarge it. You can join us. That's right. You can see the face is made for radio. And, hey, today I am totally outnumbered uh, in the gender department this way. 
today. But uh, you're going you're gonna to enjoy the guests that we have in just a moment. I'll bring them on. Also, you can see there's a video above where we're going live. That's Bradley's show from Saturday. If you want to watch his show from Saturday, you can catch that, or you can catch him live at 3 p.m., sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that. It'll be streaming live. Also, right above that is a box where you can subscribe to our newsletter. We don't rent your email out to somebody. We don't sell it. We don't spam you. You get one email a day, and that includes the morning show. Remember, I archive the morning show, the videos that you'll see, the video of the show, the podcast. Everything will be in there. Any of the articles we reference, <clears throat> excuse me, including the video that you just heard, um, the kids up in Matt Trujillo's area, uh, standing and defying tyranny. We want to drive that message home with our audience to encourage you to do that. If the kids can do it, hey, we can do it too. And we should be leading them, not the other way around, right? All right. So if you want, if you agree with our message, uh, we believe there's a straight stick. It's the Bible. Uh, and in our country, it's the Constitution. We hold that up to see who is on the straight and narrow. I don't care about the right or the left. Nobody asks the question of the right or left of what. And usually it's the right or the left of the law. And so we have criminals on both sides. If you agree with that message of calling it out and calling people back to uh, repentance towards God, faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, then there's a donate button there. We have needs. We let you know we have needs. We don't have our hand out for money, but we do let you know we have needs. There's a donate button. You can click on that if you'd like to support us. Also, you can become a monthly partner as a son or daughter of liberty. That's also at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then we have a store. Uh, we were advertising. Those of you on the video platforms, you see some of the products that we have there to equip you. And also good conversation starters, coffee mugs, water bottles, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. And they make great conversation starters. And so you can check those things out at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Now, we've got uh, a new friend with us. Uh, I played her video. She was very distraught one night uh, as she left her work, and she made a video, and it's pretty much gone viral, and we tried to get her on early, and I think she was very nervous a little bit, and part of the problem is, you know, when you make a stand like that, you're not looking to be in the limelight. You're just making a statement. Here's what's going on. And Kristen Miller, she's 39 years old. She was born on the same day as Florence Nightingale, ironically. She's a single mother with three children. Uh, she started nursing in 1999. She took time out to have her daughter, who was born uh, with some complications. She then returned in 2008. Her specialty in, is a medicine for the elderly and acute medicine. She is a patient advocate, and she prides herself on speaking up for their needs. She's now, because of what she has seen go on, the criminality that's going on in the hospitals there in Scotland, she's begun to run for parliament for the Freedom Alliance Party in Scotland to allow the vo her voice to be heard about what's going on. She's also joined today with two of her friends, and I'm going to let, you know, I briefly uh, got to meet them before we started the show, and this is Lisa and Mandy, but I want to take time to welcome you ladies to the Sons of Liberty. Welcome. Oh, I'm all over the place here. Sorry. <laughs> Great to have you, you guys on. Thank you very much for inviting us. Yeah. Now, you guys all have a story to tell, and uh, we just said, hey, let's just uh, let's have a conversation here. And so, Kirsty, why don't you start off a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I gave a brief introduction there, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and and what I'll expand a little bit about what I just gave an introduction for. Yeah, well, um, 
I'm a general nurse and worked the past year. I've, I started off as a charge nurse in a care home um, and we were denied the proper PPE when <clears throat> when things started obviously flaring up and we were seeing um, Wuhan, the, the dead bodies lying about and the in Spain the and other countries where there were carers and nurses running from buildings, leaving supposedly uh, dead bodies because of the virus. Um, obviously, we were terrified here. And to be denied the PPE was very, very scary. Um, we were all, we were just kept being told no COVID, no PPE. Um, however, as it transpired, nobody had COVID when it start when all this came out and um things obviously didn't sit right with me and I started researching and realizing things are not all what it seems and then yeah it got too much in the care home I I I whistle blew there and reported to public health and reported to care commission which is like our government bodies here for care homes um <coughs> and sadly the manager was left to answer questions that there was sort of neglect and bad practice and um, I went I therefore went on to the NHS which is obviously um, the, the, the big governing body here now for um, for the patients and um, I started bank nursing so I was working across all the different hospitals and again I was going in and the hospitals were quiet there was no pay I mean there was hardly any patients um, there was nobody with COVID. Um, so, now, yeah, Kirsty, Kirsty, obviously. Let me let me interject here a second. So you're telling us that when the media is out there saying, "Well, wait a minute, we're we're overrun. It's like a war zone in here. There's so many people, and we just can't cover it. And it's all this COVID stuff." You're telling me. You're telling our audience this wasn't the case at all, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what. Okay, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right, now is that so as it, is, is yeah. that what led you to make the video that you made? So this was obviously at the start of the first lockdown, and um, as it as I went on working throughout the year, every time I was going in for a shift, there was new policies, there was new guidelines that we had to. Um, First of all, it was only over 65s that were getting PCR tests. I started questioning the PCR test because we had asymptomatic patients of, they never had any symptoms of, of, of flu or anything like that, but they were testing positive and it just was very, very bizarre. It's like something I've never seen before. They would come in with cardiac problems and test positive. And then all of a sudden on the, the mainstream media, all these symptoms started appearing that were related. They said, this is COVID, that's COVID, this is COVID. It just didn't make sense to me, you know. Um, and like I say, every time we went into shift, every time we went to shift, there was new regulations. Um, and in acute medicine, it is very busy with other, with other, obviously, illnesses. And we were emergency admissions. So when patients were coming to us, we were doing the PCR testing. And patients that were testing positive were then, even though they had no symptoms, they were taken to the COVID wards and all the other patients, the five other patients that would be in the bay, they were then distributed across 
the hospital to isolate. However, the nurse wasn't to isolate. This is a deadly virus that's killing people. And the nurse that's closer to the patient in bed one than what the patient in bed four was, the nurse is not to isolate. And the, the PPE that we had, which was a mask, an apron and gloves was sufficient. And I just, it was very bizarre, but we were just like, it's like we were like robots and just so task orientated and just following command. And I started reaching out to the government. I started writing letters. I started asking questions to the medical board and I was just ignored. I was just ignored and um, it become harder and harder. And I think in January time, we started getting an influx of the elderly patients and it was quite clear that it, there was vaccine injury. Um, and th- therefore, I started really speaking out more and trying to get help for these for these patients. Some of them were coming in with temperatures at 31 degrees and they were needing bear huggers. They were colder than what I've ever nursed um, a dead body to be. You know, we get the um, patient's bodies ready um, when we say goodbye and this was just like something I'd never seen some had burning eyes foaming at the mouth their legs were on fire uh, and what was happening was that we were we were treating the symptoms of the admission but not asking about the cause and for me this didn't sit right with me um, um, yeah so it got unbearable and I reduced my hours at work and then I went to night shift and then I went on the bank and on the 27th of March when I went in for my shift and I there were six patients now usually I'm used to looking after six critically ill patients um but these patients they were just quite flat and um yeah it wasn't it wasn't great and the the wards were getting shut down and staff weren't known where they were going to be working. And I thought um, in the middle of a pandemic, when there's young children in the community committing suicide and the amount of sort of attempted suicides and alcoholism and drug-related deaths, all impacting because of lockdown and they're shutting wards down and they're closing beds, this doesn't make sense to me. So I just, it was unbearable and... I made that decision that night that I would never be back. Okay. All right. Now for our audience, look, I I played the video. uh, when We thought we were going to have you on a little earlier and that was about two weeks ago. No, that's fine. That's fine. And, and, and everything's fine. Uh, And I'm going to include also your interview that you did with our health and wellness expert, Kate Shimarani, because you guys get into all the medical terms and certain things that you do there that uh, I think would be beneficial for our audience to see. So that'll be in the archives as well. But I just want to play the short video. It's about five minutes or so. And uh, this is Kirsty on the night that she left that, if she had had it. This is what she had to say. NHS, tonight I'd done my last shift on the bank. I resigned from my post, my permanent post, about five weeks ago. I could no longer be part of the lies and the corruption by the government, not by the NHS, I mean... I've absolutely loved working there and working with amazing teams, amazing nurses, amazing, amazing people. But um, silence is consent as far as I am concerned. Um, The hospitals aren't full. The beds aren't full. Beds have been shut. Wards have been shut. 
very little people have passed and I am so sorry to every person that's passed due to <clears throat> illness of the coronavirus. My family have lost two people, one deemed questionable about COVID on their death certificate. I've been trying to speak out. I've been writing letters to uh, the government. I've spoke out to Unison. I have... I have um, questioned everything that's been going on for a long period of time. Vaccine rollout, vaccine injury, realising that it's an experimental agent that... Um, going to keep going because they need to actually use the lockdowns as an emergency medicine. So they have to keep the lockdowns going to make sure that people are getting vaccinated. There's no emergencies. The hospitals are not busy. They never have been. We've not seen flu. We always see flu every year and it's so sad because people die. People die and lose their lives. We are born to die. We're born. There's disease. There's viruses. Lockdown is, is affecting people more than this virus ever has. Ever. There's so many of us trying to speak out. There's so many of the colleagues that I've worked with are scared. They're scared of losing their job. That's what's going on. Um, I'm now unemployed. I'll start looking for a job. I've been, I've been trying so hard, so hard to reach out. I, I was on my own for a long period of time, and everyone now that I speak to states that they felt so alone, so scared. I'm not. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not being part of it. My colleagues, they don't want to be part of it either. They don't want to be part of it either. I honestly don't know what else is going to stop this because the vaccine rollout is going to be happening to our children. I have seen traumatic injuries from the vaccine. They're not getting reported to the yellow card scheme. They're treating the symptoms, not asking why, why it's happening. It's just treating the symptoms and when you speak about it, you're, you're dismissed. Like you're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy because every other colleague I spoke to is terrified to speak out. They've had enough. They've had enough of the mask wearing. My head is splitting every shift from wearing a mask in a ward with six six patients. I'm looking after six patients sometimes. I've been doing bank work. So I've been going around all the wards and I can see in every ward they're treating this pandemic different. They've got beds shot in some wards and not in others. And then Nicola Sturgeon's on, on the television saying... The hospital saved the NHS, but the beds are empty. Guys, this is not what it seems. 
So please, please, please listen. Nurses and doctors, pharmacists, paramedics, NHS, 111, 24 workers, call workers, the doctors, GPs, physios, OTs, alternative therapy medicines. These people are coming forward and we are all going to speak out. We are all going to speak out. We're going to speak the truth. And I'm sorry that the government have influenced you by control of social media, control of mainstream media, and you haven't listened. This is it now. It stops now. The lies stop now. I have to speak out, my kids. All right. And that was what you had to say there, uh, Kirsty. And, you know, you're not the first. There's plenty in, in line here. Our own Kate Shimerani, you know, spoke out on the 5G issue and the possible cause that that has for what they're calling the coronavirus now in people. And she lost her time there with uh, with the, the little radio show that she was with in uh, Uckfield. And then she took it all, you know, from the mainstream media writing about her, even using her own her own son against her uh, to go after her. And, you know, I want to encourage you that <clears throat> God gives us boldness in these times. And he didn't show you what he showed you in order to take away hope from you, but to give you hope. And the hope is in his son, the Lord Jesus. And <clears throat> the issue that, that I see here is too many people are willing to go along with the lies, like you said, to keep their job. Uh, they're, they're more interested in their job. And I understand wanting to keep a job. You've got to feed a family. You've got to take care of you know, the house. And stuff. I get it. But what's more important, your conscience and your integrity or you know, a job that you can go find somewhere else and, and work? And so you took a, a, a courageous stand here in doing that. Have you been able to find a job since uh, since this took place? Um, no, I've not. Well, I've actually started um, as a wellness consultant with Dotara. Um, I obviously want to change my life and my family's life. So I'm going down the route of being trained for Reiki and all these alternative therapies. At the moment, I'm still trying to find a job and um, I don't know who will employ me, to be honest, because um, the world is so brainwashed and I don't know. I'm still trying, to be okay. honest. All right. Mandy, Lisa, do one of you guys want to chime in uh, about your experience as well? Um, yeah, I'm, I've been a clinical research nurse for the last uh, for 10 years. And last year, I was doing audit in A&E. Um, now, I have not had the same experience uh, as, of trying to stand up and be counted like Kirsty did. Um, I think because I wasn't on the clinical shop floor, so to speak. Uh, so I wasn't under the sort of pressures that she was under. But definitely, I could see that the A&E departments were very very quiet I mean really abnormally quiet while the media was screaming hysterically that the hospitals were overrun and care homes were refusing to take elderly people to hospital 
on the grounds that the hospitals were overwhelmed and that this was an outright lie. Um, and I don't know how many people, how many thousands of elderly people died as a result of that, um, but a lot of people died and they would have died in a very unpleasant way because many care homes don't have the high airflow oxygen um, that you need if you're dying or if you're very ill with a respiratory disorder. Um, so they would have basically suffocated to death, the ones who died. And the ones who survived would have had a very unpleasant, really stressful time of, of being very breathless. And I don't know if anyone's been breathless, but it's a very frightening thing. Um, so, you know, this is brutal. Uh, what what the government, uh, the, the government have basically turned nurses into agents of the state. Um, and nurses are really working in intimidating conditions. Uh, and they're not they're not able to speak up the ones who who would like to speak up. There are some people who don't seem to have a problem with just following orders. Um, who knows what goes through their minds when they see the horrors. But um, I think there's a lot of uh, psychological disharmony going on with people because what they're seeing, they know, I think, deep down that this is very wrong, um, but they're not able, they're too scared. And, you know, as Kirsty says, as you say, it's understandable. People don't want to lose their jobs. Um, it's, it's a really hard situation to be in as, as a nurse here. And I've left now and I won't be working for the NHS again as a nurse. Um, you did actually write to people to talk about the vaccination, the consent. Uh, no, I wrote to my MP twice. I've not had a, uh, I've not had a reply. Okay. Um, but you know, unlike Kirsty, I, I didn't really. I got into various arguments with people about you know the ridiculous COVID measures um, in my job, but I, I never actually spoke out properly. So I, I'm full of admiration for Kirsty. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Now, make sure that I got the the names right. You're Lisa, right? Okay, so Mandy, what was your experience as well? I want to make sure I got each of you separate there. Um, well, firstly, thank you for inviting us today. And sure. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest as Mandy. Um, I'm also a professional nurse of 33 years that I'm passionate about people. I'm not very much good at anything else other than loving people. Mm -hmm. uh, doing what's right and um I pride myself in that um this is my first time to speak out publicly and believe me I never wanted to do this I'm actually handing my notice in today I'm actually on paid leave at the moment I've lost two family members I buried my grandmother last Tuesday she was in a residential home for a year um, at the other side of the country. And due to lockdown measures, obviously we were unable to see her. And the problem with my gran was that she was partially sighted and also had um, vascular dementia. 
but she was in a residential home, so she was able to mobilize at 99. She's a fighter. She she was an amazing woman. Um, she looked after my uncle, who was mentally disabled until well into her 90s. And the reason she wasn't with me in Scotland was because we housed them nearby each other. Because my uncle was familiar with his surroundings of 30 years, we couldn't remove him from that. And my grand couldn't be separate from him. So my gran, as a family, we had decided at the beginning of the year that my nana, you know, would pass for natural courses and we would all accept that that please don't take her back to hospital. She's 99. If she should deteriorate, please can we keep her comfortable and safe with dignity? And I think my whole life that's been my prayer that I've always wanted to hold my ground while she passes with dignity and love that she deserved. Now my family love and trust me and understand what I feel about the vaccinations, not as a medical professional, because we're not being taught. We're not being taught what mRNA is. If you ask many doctors and nurses, they wouldn't be able to tell you. The education is not there. How can that be? That's a huge red flag for me to begin with. So... The ones of us that need to find out, do our homework and research. And the only way they want you to do the research is through the governmental NHS guidelines. Now, as a nurse and a professional, I'm not familiar with that. That's dictatorship. You know, it's a year on now. And we've dealt with thousands upon thousands of cases on a world level. And there is great pathologists and biochemists and doctors and nurses that are doing the same thing because they care about human beings. And we're always looking to better treatments and care. And part of my code of conduct is to give the best evidence-based practice research that is available. Now, when we question... We're told to go with a narrative and the narrative doesn't make sense. The infection control measures that are taken out don't make sense mm-hmm. to us that have been trained a very long time. I also went to do uh, a diploma in tropical medicine about 20 years ago. So part of my training, yes, it's a bit out of date, but I was trained to go in and look after people with pandemics. I actually had to leave the course, and that's a whole other story, because I I got asked to leave because my thesis didn't meet the narrative. I was told that I was making myself unemployable because my, my thesis was on street children in third world countries that are dying of tooth decay 20 years ago. Because there was no water and they go and they steal Miranda Miranda and Fanta and Coca-Cola and children die of tooth decay. So my thesis was about big companies working in third world countries that they have, they have the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
help me out here, guys. They should be paying back a certain amount to the country for healthcare because they're providing the problem in the first place. So forgive me, there's a lot going on and I'm kind of um, going out of track here. The main, the main thing is, is that, you know, you, you, you wanted to bring proper research to the table, but instead you're being... I wanted to have proper research. I wanted to have open, what transparent you, discussions. Over this pandemic... So we'll go back to my grandmother at the end. Please uh, remind me because I suppose when you fall on your knees and you cry out, it comes from grief. And I'm afraid I'm still grieving at the moment. So forgive me for being a little bit emotional. The beginning of the pandemic, I remember seeing people drop dead in Wuhan that were shown on our BBC TV. Um, And a part of me, the studying me that studied uh, separately throughout my career um, had questions. But I must admit, you don't believe in yourself enough, so you think, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? So you have to put what you believe aside and step up to the mark and walk through that doorway. Now, I was working in a recovery department, and uh, a lot of the bank nurses that were coming in were working in an intensive care unit and were getting first-hand information <laughs> from consultant anaesthetist in Italy where the pandemic had hit hard. A couple of our consultants had gone on holiday there and it had tried to keep it hush-hush. It hit the paper and, yeah, we were told to keep it quiet. They came back with the COVID virus. And then we started to see fear and feel fear because what they were telling us is going to hit us was horrific. Now, I work in an area where... We um, obviously extubate people. So that is an aerosol-generated procedure. Um, And the stories we were hearing were quite terrifying. So I actually started questioning our PPE because at that time it hadn't um, hit down properly. And I got told that it wasn't the place that I worked policy, that if we wanted PPE, that, you know, your normal mask, your apron will be fine. And then there was other infection control issues that I wanted to ask, you know, if this is true, what do we do? How often do we close the curtains? How often do we clean this environment? You know, what about the equipment we're using? How do we sterilize? You know, as a nurse, we have to ask these questions so we can keep people, both patients and staff safe. Mm -hmm. Well, it went from bad to worse in my area that I worked. We were actually, I I wasn't in an NHS hospital and I I really don't want to go down this because this isn't about my colleagues. This isn't about where I worked. This is all over. It's just my experience. And in that experience, because of social distancing, we were told that we weren't allowed to come to work, that we stopped all major surgery and that we will restart and take on a lot of the NHS cancer patients. But they need to prepare for that. 
And to prepare for that, we were told that we could either take annual leave or if you weren't happy to do that, you could take toil. Now I racked up 124 hours toil. And what toil means is that you don't get paid, you, you get paid, sorry, but you have to work that 124 hours back on top of your um, uh, contracted hours. Now, we do on calls, we do 12 hour shifts and I'm still on call at night. I can go home late at night at nine o'clock and be on call and get called out again during the night after a 12, 14 hour shift. So if you can imagine what's happening is, is that you're having to function by rules and regulations, but you also have fear in you because of what the media are showing and what you don't know is coming. So you, your brain goes into a cognitive dissonance and you just try to cope with what your situation is. While I was off on toil, the agency started to phone me and um, I'm not an ITU nurse. I did ITU way back, um, but I'm not competent to, to go into an ITU department and take over a patient. I'm a high dependency nurse. I'm a recovery nurse. I'm a surgical nurse. I do a bit of palliative care. I'm one of those jack of all trades, master of nothing. Um, and I lie, I'm a master of caring and loving. Mm. And that's what's given me the courage to do what I'm doing right now. Um, let, me, let, so me interject. Let, me, let me interject something right quick. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, Kate has brought to us as well. She talks about a nurse as someone who evaluates the patient. They, they look at them. They ask questions. They're, they're genuinely concerned for the person. I hear that coming from each of you ladies, that that's, that's your job. Your job is not all this, you know, big uh, – you may know the technical terminology, but that's really not your specialty. Your specialty is to care for the people, to look at the symptoms they have, to see my what My job the, is to be a person's advocate. It's right. part of my code of conduct. So – in the past, nurses were trained to put their arms around a patient and everybody in all the disciplines used to have to come through us. And so we, we were the advocates. Now, what I'm finding is, is that I'm breaking my code of conduct because I'm not allowed to be a patient's advocate anymore. So, for example, let's take the vaccination. If we haven't been taught what mRNA is, if we don't know the contraindications, the side effects, because it is an experimental drug that they say that they developed for a pandemic, um, but we're not being taught it. How can I effectively look after patients and, and be an advocate for that when we have no knowledge? So that's a, an well, alarm that, bell. That makes absolute sense. So, so let me ask this question, because, uh, Kirsty, you were making mention of people who are dying, their temperature after death went Real colder than normal. I'm I'm not sure I understand. Was that due to what they called COVID, or was that due because these people died from vaccine, uh, something that was related to taking the vaccine? So I believe it's. I believe they became hypothermic because of the vaccine. Um, however, we never had. We don't in the NHS here, and as I believe all over the world, there is no pathway to follow when a patient is admitted after having vaccine injury. From paediatric to to old age, there's no there's no protocol to follow. So we, um, even when we the handover from paramedics, we say, um, have they had? Well, I would say, have they had their vaccine? It would be a case of I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's abs- it's a new it's a new um, medical treatment. 
you know, revolutionary medical treatment that's meant to be here to save us, basically, and nobody knows what's going on. And um, they did; they just didn't know. They didn't know. So, yeah, they they were very hypothermic, and I believe it was due to the vaccination. And that's only after speaking to families that would phone in asking how their relatives were, and they would say between seven and ten days ago they got the vaccine. Okay. All right. One of the things that I did over the weekend, we had uh, a story on what was going on as far as the VARES report we have here in the U.S. under the CDC. And then you guys have something called, um, what's it called? Euro something. I'm scrolling down here to find the name of it. Euro, uh, excuse me, Udra Vigilance. And this is what reports there uh, in the U.K., and what we found out was there's been 5,365 deaths and 238,949 injuries following taking this experimental shot, okay? That's that's just in, in the UK alone. And these numbers that we're, we're told, these are numbers that are, I mean, a lot of this is being hush-hush. Um, this is a small portion, 1% to 5% that is actually reported and it's amazing to me because you guys are you're double uh, let me scroll up here you're double what the american people have seen in the cdc in their VARES report 2794 deaths uh and several tens of thousands as well uh 57000 nearly 57000 who've been injured from the vaccine and that's all that's reported so you know Tim, Tim, yeah, every ahead. day every day now that obviously now since my videos came out I'm, I'm i've got a large following now on instagram and i'm banned from um i'm banned from facebook because of my video but um every day hundreds thousands of people are coming to me telling me their tragic stories and i find myself on the phone to these people crying because they've lost relatives um and colleagues as well, and some of them don't even know about the yellow card scheme to how and how to report it. And I, neither do my colleagues. Hmm. Can I chip in? Yeah. Yeah, please. Um. So, I, I as I said, I'm a clinical trials nurse, and um, this yellow card scheme is important, um, because if you're going to do a clinical trial, which this is. It's an unofficial clinical trial. It's not sold as that to the public, but that is precisely what it is. Then, first of all, people should have been informed that we don't have any real data to base the claim that it's safe up. Um, and if you're going to be uh, induced onto a clinical trial, you need to be told that. You need to be told every bit of information that is known, and you also need to be told what is not known so that you can make an informed choice before you join this trial. Now, these the other thing that happens on a normal clinical trial is you have a research nurse to monitor you closely for adverse events. Now, none of the staff, none of the NHS staff or any care staff has been trained to look out for this vaccine. And as Kirsty says, you know, she met with resistance. People don't want to be given extra work in the middle of a busy shift. Um, and people, you know, are wanting to deny this because they want the vaccine to be working. They don't want to admit that mm -hmm. things are going horribly wrong with it. 
Um, so this yellow card scheme is not going to give us a clear indication of just how bad the serious adverse effects are. There's a healthcare agency which governs clinical trials. It's the MHRA. And all of those results are on. They're, they're for public um, yeah. perusal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it seems that doctors and nurses are not clued up about that. It's never spoken about on television or anywhere public. Um, so in my opinion, this, this is an illegal clinical trial. Okay. Can I also interject with yes, that? Yes, please. So we also find ourselves in a situation, I know you know what's going on in Israel, um, and if you'd heard the New Zealand Prime Minister talk yesterday, um, I recommend everybody go and have a little look at that, um, if that's what's to come. So we're trialling now the um, vaccination cards. Now, as a nurse, firstly, um, I want to know, with so many people that have had COVID, why aren't we being offered immunity testing? And why are we vaccinating people that have immunity? And also, why are we calling it a vaccine? Now, I'm not, I'm not a pathologist. I'm not one of these. I'm just an ordinary person, an ordinary nurse. It's my job to ask questions. It's my job to research. And what I want to know is my understanding of what I've been taught a vaccination is. It's either a live or a dead virus that gets injected into a body to build an immunity to protect that person and prevent spread. What we are being told and what we were sold, if you go back to the beginning, it said that this is a prophylactic treatment that for the people that may get COVID, that have comorbidities, maybe it would prevent them from um, a really severe illness and death. Now, firstly, we have to look at the figures of how many people with comorbidities die with COVID, you know, Um, and the lockdown, how many people has it killed? Like Kirsty said, I have colleagues working in ITU, I have colleagues that are crying and saying that they couldn't deal with what they were seeing with suicide patients coming through. Um, So for me... I don't know, there's, you know, and I, again, a lot of my colleagues, don't, they don't always work in these departments. So they might not be working in the ERU and the, uh, sorry, the medical assessment units. And so they don't, they're not seeing what's going on at current time. Now, when what we've done, um, Freedom Alliance, none of us want to stand for this. None of us want to go forward with this. This is just a way of us speaking out and asking as ordinary citizens, as professional people, asking our government, why aren't these questions being answered in a public arena that are transparent? And why are we being demonised? And our colleagues, some of them, yes, are not demonising us. Some of us want to follow, but they don't know how to follow. I don't have a job after today. I don't know where my income is going to come. I don't know by not having the vaccine if I can even shop in the future. They say it is temporary that they're experimenting. But if we look, this is a global thing going on. 
And my other question is, the NHS, they keep banging on again how the NHS doesn't have money. They put it in the political arena about the nurses' pay rises and make fights about it. But all of a sudden, they're now telling us they want children and eventually everyone tested twice a week. Now, if we do the math on that and how many people there are in the UK, that's mind-blowing. Forget the va- how much it costs to vaccinate everyone. Not even asking about immunity testing. To me, that reeks alarm bells. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I am not anti-vaxxer. I am a professional, loving, caring nurse. And I have questions. And if those questions aren't answered in a transparent, sensible research-based evidence, how can I work anymore? My grandmother, as I was sharing with you earlier the story, my grandmother locked down for a year. We couldn't FaceTime my gran because she would get so upset because she couldn't see us. And when she's lucid, she's happy. But if she's distressed, her vascular dementia would kick in. So we decided that we would just speak to the carers. We had a big blanket made for her with all our faces on so that when the carers walked into her room, they'd talk about her family just to try and find a way for her to keep a connection to know that she's loved. Now, my father and my grandmother, my father basically gave my nan, she had the AstraZeneca, and my father took it as well because they were told that if they didn't have it, they wouldn't be able to see her. And the same with my mentally disabled uncle. My mum did not want the vaccine. She went to the GP surgery to have her bloods tested, to have her normal medication. And the nurse told her, if you don't have the vaccine, you can't come into a doctor's surgery. And then they were too scared to tell me. My gran, two, three weeks ago, post AstraZeneca, and I can't prove it. They never asked me the question, did she have it? No, because she's 99 years old. She's old. She's expected to die. And I was grieving so much that I couldn't even get into that space. All I had to do was try to get her out of hospital. The nursing, the, the residential home, she started bleeding rectally. So bad that they called 999. Her legs were burning. The very symptoms that Kirsty was talking about in the medical assessment units was what my gran was experiencing. In England, and I'm in Scotland, Wales. Ladies, ladies, let me let me ask it. Let me ask a question here. Have any of you been at the bedside of somebody that you could confirm has what they call COVID-19? Can you confirm that, you know, they have COVID-19 or were you suspicious that what they were labeled, if you even had anybody like that? Uh, COVID-19 was actually something else. Have any of you actually been able to confirm somebody had this COVID-19? Yes, I, yeah, okay. I've been in acute medicine admissions and we've done PCR tests. And, and this is what I was saying um, regarding, to me, as time went on, it felt like the PCR tests were already the the clinical indication of the, the what that virus is, was already done on the test 
before you were giving it to the patient. So, you know. We and were, again, we were never taught what is PCR? Yeah. What is PCR testing? We've had to do our own research. So if our medical board wants to tell us that we're conspiracy theorists, then teach us. Yeah. What is a PCR test? Because from what I've learned, the gentleman that actually designed it won a Nobel Peace Prize warned us never to do virus shedding. That's uh, right. Virus testing. That's right. Well, you know, this, and this depending leads... on the spin rate as well yeah. depends on the outcome of it. And I can give you a testimony that everywhere was different. The NHS wasn't testing their nurses. No, I've never the been private tested. sector was absolutely. Mm. Um, we were tested, but I can tell you that the private sector are doing different tests from the NHS tests. And I can tell you that there was a certain doctor that was tested in a private sector that the test came back positive. He was outraged because he had no symptoms and he wanted to work. And he went back to his NHS hospital, had an NHS test, and that comes back negative. Hmm. Well, this, this, this is why I asked, this is why I was asking the question, can you confirm it? Because we, we come to certain things of the PCR test, and you're exactly right. We've written on that. Uh, John Rappaport has done a number of reports on the fact that even the media is blurting out the truth and their confusion to say these PCR tests are not accurate. They were never designed for diagnosis uh, and things of that nature. And yet that's the thing that's being rolled out. And, of course, he was also the guy saying the reason they're coming to the conclusion of more cases is because of they've ramped up the number of cycles in the PCR test. And he said the way they're going to show that they, they're going to deceive the people into thinking the vaccines, the injections, these jabs are working is they'll back off the cycles. And so, therefore, you have less cases. And they'll say, oh, look, see, we're, we're masking up. We're social distancing. And the vaccine's rolling out. Everybody needs to go get their jab. And uh, and that's going to be a deception to the people for what's going on there. Ladies, if you'll hang on with me, um, folks, they're going to stay with us over. So if you're on Red State Talk Radio and you want to catch the end of the interview here, just head over to Sons of Liberty Media. SonsofLibertyMedia.com. Scroll down on the right side of the page. We're going live there. Or before it's news.com, we're on the top of the page there. You can catch it um, and finish out the interview with us. Or you can catch the archive that will be up later at SonsofLibertyMedia.com later this morning. I want to get one word in quick. This Saturday, we're doing the protest at the Menards up north. I'm in the south. I'm a good old southern boy. We don't have Menards here. Um, but there's Menards up in Ohio and Michigan and Minnesota that I know of. Bradley's going to be leading the one at Buffalo, Minnesota location. If you want to be a part of that, we need to get together, do that simultaneously. It's going to be 9 central time is when it's going to start for about three or four hours uh, protesting their mass Nazi fascist kind of statement that they've got. If you want to be a part of that and you can video it, go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, click on the contact button at the top of the page, send me an email for live stream to Tim. Give me your phone number. I need to get in touch with you because we're going to restream all of that from all the locations. 23 hours, Brandon Taylor will be with us to tell you how you can defeat all this tyranny. See ya. All right, we want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And, uh, ladies, sorry about that. I wanted to get that in there. and But I do want to give you guys uh, opportunity because, um, Christy, uh, I know that you've done a couple of interviews that I've seen, but uh, I know these other ladies haven't. And it's the first time, and you guys have done great. Uh, the audience has found you to be very informative as to what's going on because you're giving them an inside view. It's not a speculation. It's not, you know, me out here reading the reports that I read and 
translating those and, and some of our other authors that, that contribute to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You guys have been right there in the front lines. You've seen the people. You've touched them. You've talked to them. You've, uh, you, you've seen the reports. You've asked the questions. You've done all these kinds of things. And so I think this carries a lot of weight with people as to see these are people on the inside who have nothing to gain, and they're losing everything in the process to warn people about what's going on. Now, uh, Mandy, I didn't mean to cut you off a minute ago, but uh, if you want to finish your thought, and then we'll we'll kick it back over very, to Lisa very, or Christy. Very quickly, I'd really like to finish my thought off with sure. my own experience as um, as a relative, um, because it puts a whole new different spin on it, and it's very humbling to be a relative. Um, it's very humbling for a nurse to have surgery because, you know, it 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 puts what we do in perspective. So my grandmother, 999 was called. My grandmother was hemorrhaging. The ambulance crew came to take her. Um, she was taken to recess um, where she was transfused four units of blood and um, one unit of fresh frozen plasma. I had a phone call at 9.30 at night. Now I live in Scotland, which is the other side of the country. So I got in my car and I drove all the way through the night. I got to the hospital at 7.30 in the morning. Um, now I had been, cause I were COVID tested every week. Um, I had been tested for, for COVID. So I knew that I was COVID free um, and I could prove that. Um, I get to the hospital and in MAU, which is the medical assessment unit, Grand went from resus to medical assessment unit. It's kind of a system now that we do in the UK um, where you go from different departments before they find you a bed. Um, so she went to medical assessment unit and they were they let me in. They were great. Um, now, again, all our experiences as nurses on different wards and going to different places, it, it's all different, the standards. So this standard... No criticism to the nurses. I'm just speaking the truth about my experiences. Didn't show me where the PPE is. Didn't ask me any questions. Um, didn't ask whether I was COVID negative or not. Um, however, they did know that I was a nurse and they could quite clearly see that when I was with my grandmother. Now, when I saw my gran, she was terrified. She was in so much pain. Her legs, you couldn't touch her legs. Um, her skin was so painful to touch that trying to turn her over when she was just passing fresh blood all the time um, was so painful. Now, Mandy, so Mandy I, can I, let me ask you, your, your grandmother had the, she had the vaccine. She had the AstraZeneca, is that correct? Yes. Okay, so this is the result of the vaccine in your opinion. It's not the result of any COVID stuff, right? So in my personal opinion, I have to say it's very questionable because my grandmother had atrial fibrillation, she had vascular dementia, but she had no other predisposing factors. They even did a CT scan and an MRI, uh, MRI scan on her. There was no bowel obstruction, there was no cancer, and nobody could, she had no allergies, um, nobody could correlate as to why she became so painful um so basically the long story is i called my son my son's a carer he came he lives in wales too he came to help me and for about 10 hours we were allowed to look after my grandmother in mau which i'm very grateful for um i had to fight with the doctors they wanted to take her to theater not under general anesthetic, they knew that she wasn't well enough for that, but to put her under sedation. 
And um, I I clearly had stated I didn't want my grandmother to go to theatre, that my grand was 99 and she needed to come home and um, we needed to nurse her at home. But obviously they wanted to stop the bleeding. So my grandmother is actually on something called transamic acid. Um, so a lot of AF and vascular patients are on um, a blood thinner, uh, anticoagulant. Now, I don't know how true this is. This is information I heard this morning, and I need to research that. Um, I, I believe that aspirin is, um, to be to be aware, I don't even want to say contraindication because I haven't seen it myself, and I don't want to discredit information out there. But um, my nan bled and bled and bled. Um, so eventually the doctors agreed with me that it wasn't a good idea to take her to theatre, that she probably would die on the theatre table. And as I expressed, I've just lost my father-in-law uh, a month ago and nobody could be with him and that I didn't want to go through that again. So I started the ball rolling. I agreed that I would take time off work, unpaid leave, because obviously I'd had leave with my husband's father. And I obviously don't have any more leave. Um, and that I would take my grand to my father's house who lives in Wales and we would nurse her at home. My husband would come down and help me and my son if we couldn't get support in the community. So that night, my grandmother was transferred in the same hospital to a surgical ward where they found her a bed. And I was told, unfortunately, I couldn't go with her because of the COVID regulations. When I challenged this and, and said that I am COVID free, you could do a lateral flow test on me to check that. You could put me in a pair of scrubs. You could close the curtains. My grandmother's partially sighted. She's got vascular dementia. You what? She's scared. She's terrified. She's dying. And you're telling me now, after I've looked after her in the same hospital, that I can't go with her onto one of the wards. Well, I made such a fuss and said that I'm not leaving, that they, uh, whatever they did, whoever they spoke to, they agreed that I could stay in the day room overnight. Yeah, good for you. I went to the day room overnight. The following morning, the sister came into the room, and this is how I realized people are changing. Uh, the sister came in the room, more or less queried why I was there, went through the whole scenario, told her that I wanted my grand to come home and that uh, if I needed to buy or get a private ambulance, I would. But I wanted to start the ball rolling. I also then asked if I could, before I went home, it's an hour to my father's house, if I could just see my grandmother, give her a kiss goodbye and just make an assessment of how she's doing from where I saw her um before she went to sleep um then that would put my mind at rest then I would know whether or not I should go home um and the sister of the department told me in no uncertain terms that I was not allowed to go in and say goodbye to my grandmother or even give her a kiss now as a nurse not only are we advocates we are trained to risk assess situations and make judgments that are beneficial to both patients and relatives. I spoke to the sister. I told her the whole story, told her that she could risk assess it, um, but she dug her heels in. I think she thought it got a bit awkward. And my last message to her was, sister, if you had a three-year-old child that was partially blind, that was scared, ill, would you take them to a pediatric unit 
hand them over and then phone them, the nurses, to see how they're doing. Because that's effectively what you're asking me to do with my grandmother. The long story was it took me three days of fighting with the hospital to get her home. Once she was home, I cannot highly commend the community team. They were amazing. My gran came home. I was allowed to administer pain relief to her. And she had five days at home with her family. I was able to play the sound of the ocean and hold her in my arms for her to pass. So you know what? I believe that my prayers were answered. But that whole process for me finished me as a nurse. But I realized I cannot be complicit anymore. And I think I'll leave it there if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Well, one of the things that they're doing is they're doing the same thing the Nazis are doing. They're they're labeling certain people as troublemakers, as the one who are diseased. As I mean, even if you're not sick, because you won't get a vaccine, because you won't wear a mask, because you won't go along with the narrative that's giving out there, you're done that. Then you get the social distancing. No more is there the human touch. No more is there... Uh, gathering. I mean, they're wanting to even try to push this nonsense over here in churches, and I know they're doing it over there, and thank God some people are pushing back against saying, no, we're not having that because the government doesn't tell the church what to do. Is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually the ones who are supposed to be telling the government what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. We're, the moral, we're the moral compass here uh, of what they're exactly. doing, and what they're doing is is unlawful. It is the same thing that the Nazis were doing, and they're using the nurses to do it. They're using them to accomplish. They don't want them a lot. Of, they know a lot of people. They're going to get the herd mentality. Hey, we don't ask questions. Just do your job. Go home. Come back tomorrow. And they know a lot of people are not going to have the courage. And, you know, I see you ladies. Each of you, it looks to me like, has had a breaking point where you've had questions You've met with a stone wall, and then you've come up against a particular experience that has sort of broke that down to where you say, look, this is so serious, I cannot be quiet about it anymore. I'm not going to just ask questions. You're willing to leave your jobs over it. You're willing to come out and tell people what's going on, and uh, I think that's to be commended. Uh, Lisa, did you have a final word that you wanted to get in here as well? Um. Well, I mean, I, I think the, the overwhelming sort of the, the thing that I really find unbelievable, I have to pinch myself every day, is that this this clinical trial is, is being allowed to happen because um, the MHRA trains us, uh, you know, it's ingrained into us that the ethics and the legality of what you can and can't do on a clinical trial um, and to put pressure on people to, to have tests, a PCR test, for example, um, and then to put pressure on people to take the vaccine. And it's not just pressure, it's real blackmail. You know, it's, well, you may not be able it to is. go to a shop. You may not be able to go to, uh, maybe you won't be able to even work again. I mean, that's serious blackmail. And this is taught to us, continually as clinical uh, researchers absolutely illegal you are not allowed to to do that you're not allowed to put pressure on somebody to take part in a trial or or even have a medication you know as a nurse if if a patient with full capacity says actually I'm not taking my metformin today 
I, I can't force them. I can't blackmail them. Yeah. I can't start telling them, oh, you know, you, you're going to... Uh, we're not going to give you water if you don't take yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to withhold things from you if you don't take... No, it's absolutely illegal. And it's happening on a daily... I mean, it's happening everywhere in the UK. Um, and it's extraordinary. And, and it's such a shame people don't understand that they can refuse the PCR. Uh, you don't have to have it. And they will back off if, if you say, listen, you, you're completely out of line. Uh, with medical the medical discrimination laws here, uh, they will back off very quickly if you say that to them. Um, and it's the same with the vaccine. Currently, it's not, uh, they haven't changed the laws at all. So we are completely within our rights to refuse a vaccine or any medical treatment. Um, and I just, you know, I hope that we can keep these laws the, the rule of law is important and it's going to be brought into disrepute soon. People are not going to understand which laws are which and the general respect for obeying laws is going to break down if we're not very careful. So thank you. That That's, that's what I'd like to add. Okay. All right. Now, let me throw in a, a little thing here at the end and then, Kirsty, I'm going to let you close us out with your final comments as well. You know, there the Bible talks about the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Moses said this 1,500 years before Christ, before people, you know, even knew what the, well, as best I know, <laughs> they knew a lot of stuff back then. It's surprising to me the things that we learned that they, that they did know. But we didn't know, as far as I know, when Moses wrote that, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the, the blood was taking out the trash, it was bringing oxygen to the cells, it was doing all this incredible stuff that our Creator had designed our bodies to do. And, you know, this is why we have Kate on, because she believes that now. She believes that God has given us everything within the creation to take care of ourselves. And so when you ladies are talking about, hey, we've been caring for these patients and stuff, and now all of a sudden we're given this mRNA vaccine, and we don't even know how it works. We're, we're not educated in this. They don't teach us. They won't answer our questions. And it's really causing a problem. This is being put into the blood and we've had Dr. Sherry Tenpenny on, and she talked about the Pfizer and the Moderna, that it indirectly uh, changes the DNA, whereas the Johnson & Johnson directly changes it. And, you know, the Bible warns us about that, too. Leviticus 19.19, 19, that we're not, there's, a, there's a, a, a premise there that we're not to mix seeds and fabrics and all this kind of stuff. And that would include bloods. We're not to, to contaminate ourselves with those kind of poisons and things that would do us harm. And, you know, I warn people, look, you can trust in all this stuff. And at least you're right saying this is a experiment on people. The, the, all the experiments of vaccines of, for coronavirus on animals ended with the animals dying, all of them. And yet they're saying, hey, you can do this. And then the blackmail, you're exactly right. To me, this sound, it smacks of violations of the Nuremberg Code. This is an experimental yeah. thing. And it's being forced on people. And again, we go back to stuff like Revelation 13, 17. And again, I'm going to add in our archives for people who think this is Mark of the Beast stuff and in last days and all that. I can show you it's not. That all happened in the first century. But I, drew, draw, I do draw an application from it that when a tyrannical beast government is telling you that you have to do this or do that that is immoral and taking these vaccines are uh, in terms of what they do to you, 
if they're and doing that, have this so is, many different vaccines. Yeah, this is an application of the mark of the beast that you're either going to obey God and follow his commands or you're going to obey the tyrant, one or the other. Uh, Christy, I want to turn it over to mm-hmm. you for a final thought and then I'll close out the show. And if you ladies will hang on, I'll say goodbye to you after I shut off the stream. Okay. Thank you for having us, Tim. And I'm glad that I've um, met um, Mandy and Lisa and we're going to be working together to go through our NMC code of conduct, which is all the nursing code of conduct, which we are meant to follow. I also want to say thank you so much from for the nurses all over the world that have got in touch with me. We are creating something really special. And Kate has asked me to join her and Dr. Kevin Corbett in and starting the new nursing alliance where we can actually train to teach nurses to he- to help with natural remedies what god gave us amen um, so that is our plan and i will keep continuing my sticking by my word and my truth and trying to unite all us nurses together so that we can save the public and our children because that's is absolutely soul-destroying. Um, so thank you for having us. Yeah, thank our, you, too. Yeah, thank you. Our pleasure to have you guys on, and uh, thank you for joining us, uh, taking out of your time. The people in the chat room are very supportive. Uh, Carol Ann says, thank you, ladies. Keep those chins up and spine strong as they are. And you've got, oh. a, lot of su- <laughs> you got, a, you got a lot of support in there. And so, you know, hang in there. Uh, the Lord provides for his own. Um, you've taken a stand here. Keep your eyes on him. That's That would be what I would say. Call out to him. He'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. Guys, again, let me let me reiterate one other thing. Uh, they were making mention of Israel and what's going on there. Now, you guys probably saw when we reported on the situation where the lady came out and uh, she spoke about what was going on in Israel there and how they were being blackmailed, being shut out of society if they didn't get it. And then yesterday we had this story come out. Uh, a 22-year-old uh, Israeli woman is now dead following her experimental Pfizer COVID injection. I don't know what it's going to take for the people to wake up and deal with these criminal big pharma companies and the corrupt politicians they're paying off. But let me tell you something. If you call yourself a Christian, you just say, oh, it's just going to take care of so We'll just pray. Look, pray. Sure, pray. Do that. Don't leave that off. But don't leave it there. As one old preacher said, you got to put that stuff in shoe leather and go out there and do something about it. And that's what we're called to do. Part of that's going to come tomorrow in the interview that I have with Brandon Taylor out of Tennessee. He's going to give you very, some of you ask, what can we do? What can we do? He's going to give you the very practical things at your local level you can do. And he's had victory after victory after victory doing it. We are not doom and gloom here at the Sons of Liberty. We believe in a hope that God has for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne, 1 Corinthians 15, my favorite passage, where he is subduing all of his enemies. And yes, there are tough times. There are times where God chastises his children. There are times where he judges the nations. But Jesus is still on the throne and he's still subduing his enemies. Now, if you want to help in doing some of this, you want to be a doer of the word, not a hearer, only deceiving yourselves, then head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, especially if you're up north, and you're going to join in the Menards protest this Saturday. Head over there. There's a contact button right here at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Okay? And if you have a mobile device, I don't know if you can see that. I don't know if that comes up on the mobile, so let me give it to you real quickly. Info at SonsOfLibertyRadio.com. Info 
at sonsoflibertyradio.com. Put in the subject line, live stream for Tim. Give me your name. Tell me what profile or wherever you're going to be live streaming at and your phone number so I can get in touch with you. Because what we want to do is we want to bring all of these protests together. And I'm going to get on my, I'm going to be up early, probably 3 a.m. Oh, I'm going to be wore out on Saturday. But I'll get up, get all my stuff done, uh, do the radio show with Kate and, and Kevin. And then at 10 o'clock my time, Eastern, and 9 in Central, uh, you guys up north who are doing those things, the, the protests there, we're going to live stream that for the duration of the protest. And what we want you to do is help us by getting the live stream at the location that you're at. Now, probably need two people, one as a backup, okay? But we'll probably pull from one. We'll maybe make some calls, get some comments for some people who are there at the protests. And, uh, and this is to protest Menards because they are doing exactly what Lisa said. They are blackmailing the people to the point where they let Bradley's father-in-law walk all around the store, get all his products, go up to the, the counter, and then tell him, oh, we have masks for 39 cents. If you don't buy that and put that on, we're not selling you the stuff. Now, how stupid is that? Okay? How stupid is that? And they're just following the propaganda that's been put out for them. So it's up to the people to teach them a lesson, to protest them, to not give them money. You hit them in the pocketbook and they learn the lesson real quick because they're not going to get bailed out like some of the other big corporations by our corrupt government. We have to teach them the lesson. No, no, no. You don't treat your customers this way. This is not going to be allowed to stand. And so get that information into me so we can have it all set up by Saturday. And uh, I'll give you a call. We'll... We'll coordinate those things. And again, 23 and a half hours, something like that. We're going to have Brandon Taylor on. You don't want to miss that. If you're looking for what you can do in your area, in your sphere of influence, to correct this tyranny, to push back against it, and I believe Brandon has some very practical things. He'll tell you some victory stories that he's had just in a short time, a few months, and uh, you can do the same thing. I believe you can do it. I believe we can do it together. And uh, we'll see you at 6 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. Adios.